we're going to start with a history lesson, okay? Vercingetorix. Vercingetorix. He was a Gaul, Lish, king, and chief. Um, he united Gaulish factions and tribes in around 82 BC to about 46 BC. And he led many successful campaigns with the Gauls against Julius Caesar's um, Roman legions. Eventually, though, the factions that made up his forces were exploited by Caesar, and he was defeated by siege at the Battle of Alesia. Now, according to the Greek biographer Plutarch, Vercingetorix jumped on his mighty steed of war and rode out of Alesia through the blockades. He rode out around Caesar's camp before pulling his horse up in front of Caesar, hopping off the horse, stripping off his armour, throwing his weapons, throwing his armour, everything down at Caesar's feet before sitting down on the ground himself, offering himself up as a prisoner so that as many of his men in the siege as possible could go free. Vercingetorix was then obviously taken as a prisoner. He was held captive for five years. He was dragged through the parade as, a, as the prize prisoner of Caesar's returning parade through Rome. He was the main trophy there, getting shown off, and then he was strangled to death. Now, before I get any more weird looks or raised eyebrows as to why I chose to open Easter Sunday morning with a story like that, then... I want, let me get to the point, I want us to understand what it takes. Like, what does it take? What does it take for an enthroned being to throw down all their worth and their power at the feet of another one? Now, spoiler alert here, because we are in church, we all know where this is going, okay? We're going right to the top. We're going to feel and understand the supreme and majestic rule of King Jesus and why all of us must yield to him. So let's read our Revelation passage from today. We're, for those of us that um, don't normally come or are visiting Willowburn today, um, we're working our way through a book called Revelation. Revelation is the last book in the Bible. It deals with the future events yet to come on earth. Very interesting book. Read it sometime. It was addressed to seven churches, and by extension, our church, the church today. So our, our passage today comes from Revelation 11, and we'll start in verse 14. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. 
Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and earthquake and heavy hail. Now, this passage is mostly a song of praise sung by 24 elders in the heavenly throne room before God. Now, each has a throne and every now and again, they get off it. They throw their crowns down at God's feet and they themselves hop down and fall on their faces, worshipping Him. This passage, this song of praise from the elders that we just read, is the third that we've come across in our passage through Revelation so far. So there already has been two. We've heard about what the elders have done twice already. So today, we're going to track these um, stories, these songs of praise from these 24 elders. And this will be the story of why King Jesus, our Lord, is to be exalted above all on his throne. All right, these are the songs of the elders. So our first first time we hear from the elders is back in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 10. No need to turn to it, I'll read it for you. That's how nice guy that I am. The 24 elders, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him for worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, "Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power." For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So the elders' song begins right at the beginning. Luke's already given us the executive summary for it. Thanks, man. Um, Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power because you created all things. All right? And by your will they kept existing, sustained. God's word sustains all things, yeah? So, why are you here? Why is anything here? Why do you exist? Why do the raw materials that made up the seat you're sitting on, why why are they here? Why is anything here? Why are even rocks here? See, some, some may say that everything came about by gravity acting within a quantum vacuum. Okay? And for some reason, they believe that an impersonal force like gravity chose to create. So what prompted the gravity to create then did it itself? I kind of grind on this because gravity doesn't choose to operate over here and not operate over there. It just does. Gravity does things in a reliable way. See, theories of matter springing up out of nothing are just one way that people who don't want to believe God and they don't want to glorify God, they suppress the truth of Him. Otherwise, for for those of us sitting here, most of us, the answer is clearly seen in the world around us and the answer is clear in pure science and the answer is clearly seen in the fact that there is an immaterial world that makes sense of the material world behind us. Let's think of an example, okay? 2 plus 3 equals 5 is the same in my mind as it is in Luke's mind, as it is on Mars, as it is a million light years that way and a million light years that way, okay? The same, these concepts, if two planets, if there's a solar system, say, with three planets in it and the two new ones form, that solar system has five planets. 
Do you ever wonder why these immaterial concepts of maths and everything make sense of the physical world? That whole immaterial world. It's not made up of stuff, but it makes sense. Because the whole universe has been woven together and exists. It's all comprised out of the one intelligent mind, the mind of God. So God created all things. Luke took us through this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hebrews 11 tells us in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. Okay, so where does this leave us? If God created everything out of nothing, then why? Why, why did he need to create? Why, why did he create? He created for his own glory. And we as created beings are to glorify him for doing that. Now, creation, think of creation. Creation gives glory back to God because he made it to do that. That's why, it, that's why it does it. It has no alternative but to reflect God's glory back to Him. You look at the, the, the marvellous beauty of flowers and all the animal kingdom and just the way cycles happen and the giant roaring supernovas out in space. It reflects His might and His majesty. It reflects glory back to Him. There is no free will given in nature, all right? Animals behave out of instinct and habit and flowers bloom and trees fruit in line with the cycles of the sun and the moon and the seasons and whatever. Mankind, however, is the absolute pinnacle of God's creation and because we are made in God's own image, we have the freedom of choice. We have freedom of will. We can do things, whatever we want, we can do. We can... We have the freedom to glorify God or we have the freedom to not glorify God and in doing so, deny Him what is His. Now, if you think that concept makes God a little bit petty, that He would be, that's my creature, hmm, worship me. If, if you think he's, he's up there pining for attention from a little creature that He made, then you don't understand the nature of God. See, God made everything. God made you, the chair, um, the, the raw materials that go into your chair, the, the, the whole universe, the person sitting next to you. He's made it all. The food you eat, the clothes that you're wearing, everything, all the atoms that are in that, it, it's all being made and held together by God. Even those immaterial things that make sense of the material that sit in the background, those things that some of us blokes really struggle to get our heads around, like emotions and things like that. Hey, like God made them as well. There is nothing that you can make or do that God hasn't given you to begin with. Everything from your basest survival to your most absolute and complete flourishing has been provided by God in this world universe. But you can give him something that is rightfully his, however, and you can glorify him because we are created to do that. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about myself as a child. It might be a little bit embarrassing or some of you might find it cutesy, but I'm not cute. So, the, um, to help us understand this concept that 
Everything we have was given us by God, yet we glorify Him out of those things. So, like most kids, as when I was a child at Christmas, I loved it, okay? I loved the idea of getting presents. I loved my mum and dad giving each other presents. I loved the joy that it brought each of them giving each other presents. Um, I loved the concept of it. So I wanted in on this present giving stuff. So I would walk around our house and I would just collect old, like a little bowerbird, collect odd items from around the house. I'd get out some printer paper, my colouring crayons, I'd make some wrapping paper, I'd scrunch it around these items and chuck it under the Christmas tree. So the Christmas tree in the 80s in the McIntyre house, three weeks out from Christmas was chockers with stuff from around the house wrapped in crayon coloured printing paper. <laughs> It was a weird time to be alive, but that was the 80s, not, not McIntyre Christmas. Um, so you'd, there'd be items like a potato masher, a ruler, a photo frame, some of my toys, uh, dad's car keys, mum's purse. Actually, come to think of it, that was a weird Christmas. Honey, have you seen the car keys? No. Have you seen my purse? Were we robbed last night? <laughs> Needless to say, it all came out when the presents were open, but here's my point, okay? My parents would make a huge deal out of the gifts that I would give them, just this junk that they knew they had, they already owned it, and I gave it back to them. And they'd be like, oh, Ben, this is... Benjamin, I was called. Benjamin, this is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for this. So in, in, in what I did, I added no physical worth to my parents at all. Nothing. They were in no way better off from a material perspective from me having given their own junk back to them. Okay? But I was showing my love for them. And I was like and I was showing my affection for them out of giving them these presents, the act of doing it. And in doing so I was making their hearts full and they could see their child loving them out of what I was doing. So, in a similar way, um, God is glorified when we reflect back to Him all the good things that He has blessed us with through His creation. We can't in any way add to or take away from God His person, His reputation, or anything like that, but we can glorify Him. We glorify God by acknowledging His greatness and then flowing out of that, and praising and worshipping Him through prayer and song and actions in our lives because of who He is. He is, as the elders have told us, the Creator of all. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So Revelation 5 is the second elder's song of worship to our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, bearing the wounds of His sacrifice. So I'll read that as well now, verse 9 from chapter 5, if you're playing along at home, writing notes or doing whatever. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is within them saying, To him who sits on the throne and the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. It just, came, just struck me then as I was reading that. Imagine the roar of all those creatures. Every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth, the sea, all that is within them, saying that to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. Amazing. So, why do the heavenly elders worship the one who ransomed people by his blood? What happened? Why did people need ransoming? Ransoming. Aren't we generally good people? No. Most definitely not. God's newly created world was usurped by Satan through lies to Adam and Eve and evil entered the world. Everything is sick and broken because of that. Sin twisted into and wound tightly around and distorting this creation. So out of that, mankind turned their back on God and began glorifying himself. The place where the throne in our life, where God is meant to sit, where he's meant to be the center, we're meant to be worshiping him. We put ourselves in there and we worshiped ourselves because inherited down from our first parents, Adam and Eve, because they wanted to be like God. Now, what hope is there for a creation that is so busted and broken? God could have, well, he would have been completely justified in just scorched earth, destroying the whole thing, including Satan, and just going back to his eternal state of love and relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, existing out of time. But... God created and he created for his glory and he could be more glorified through all this mess of sin. He could bring glory to himself out of this mess that was made of his creation. Ephesians 2 tells us that through the sacrifice of the Son, person of the Godhead, God will show his immense and immeasurable um, riches of his love and his grace toward us. So, that's a hard, really hard concept to get our heads around. Like, what is infinite love? What what does it look like? So, what happened in order to seal this for God's people? What was the sacrifice that brought so much glory to God that the heavenly elders sing about here? Luke took us through this in the beginning. God, the Son, became human. Jesus, fully God, fully man. 
He was born into this world with one single focus in life. He was born to die. And that makes sense, doesn't it? We die, we're all born, we die. But we die because of the brokenness of sin twisted into and breaking our bodies down, running our bodies down into decay. The whole universe is doing that, decaying itself down. But Jesus was the only perfect human to have ever lived. Jesus' sole mission in life was to die. He didn't need to. He, he, he was the only one who consciously said, I'm going to die. The rest of us it just happens anyway. And in doing so, Jesus dying, he took all of the brokenness of sin from this world onto himself. He took all of God's white, hot, furious wrath and punishment onto himself. He did this to pay for all our, our obvious sins our, and our proud sins, um, our deep, dark, hidden, secret sins that we hope no one ever knows about, our purposed and our well-thought-out and our well-calculated sins, and then our unintentional, oh man, I did that again, absent-minded sins. Jesus was murdered in the most brutal way because of this, because of our sins. Jesus was bashed until he was unrecognizable. He was whipped, actually he was scourged so that his back was a mess of strips of flesh hanging loose, a bloodied mess. Like it, it's, the Bible says his back was like it had been ploughed. He had thorns pressed deep into his head. He was given vinegar to drink and he was spat on. He also had his beard pulled out before having huge spikes driven through his hands and feet into a rough splintery timber frame. And then he was lifted up naked in front of murderous mocking crowds who were gambling over the only piece of clothing that he had. This is our Jesus. This is our Lord. This is our God dying for us to pay for our way back to Him. This is our Redeemer taking everything that we deserved onto Himself and ransoming us by His blood. This is why He is glorified, to pay for us, pay for everything for us through His blood. He is the only way out of the sinful mess that we are drowning in. All that was broken and lost and destroyed at the fall of man into sin is healed and regained and made whole and beautiful again at the cross of Jesus. This is why we are Christians. This is why we follow Jesus Christ. This is why we are that nutty, weird people. We come here every Sunday, we sing songs, we believe in Jesus. Gabe's laughing. We are a peculiar people, man. Um, this is why we believe in Jesus. This is why we are people of the cross. You know, people of the cross. It gets you killed in other countries, guys. It might be coming here. We might have to die for that, being people of the cross. This is why we claim it. And, and today, we are people of an open 
empty tomb that no one knows really where it is because there was no body in it anyway after three days. Amen. 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 This is who we are. Okay, and Easter, this is our, this is our day where we remember most holy with the, the, how we were brought back to God um, and the, the, the price that it cost, the price that it cost God that was born entirely by His heart so that we can be beneficiaries of the highest of joys in our risen Saviour, Jesus Christ. Those of us that believe in Jesus for us and we place our trust in His death, we are sealed forever as God's people. We are then the people ransomed by His Son's death that these elders are singing about here. So every ounce of true meaning that we as Christians, we gather from our lives, comes directly from Jesus' birth, His death, His burial and His resurrection. We think back to our original Two dudes in our history story at the start. Vercingetorix, he gained glory out of the pages of history for offering himself up as a prisoner so that his men could go free. And Julius Caesar gained all the glory from also the pages of history and through his other countrymen by conquering extra land and increasing the size of an already mighty empire. Yet, both of these guys... Both of them, only mere men. They're still trapped within their sin. They could never rescue themselves from it. Those two guys have lived and died and passed away into the pages of history. Yet, Jesus is alive. Greater is Jesus than any mighty military man, general that's ever lived any religious leaders, past and present. Greatest is he above all creation and heavenly hosts. Don't put your faith and hope in humanity or mankind or another person or anything. You will always be disappointed. Put your hope and trust in Jesus because he created you and he died for you. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. Now, understanding that we have had the songs of praise to the Creator and worship for the Redeemer brings us full circle now to our passage that we started out on, okay? And in effect, it's the elders kneeling down and giving thanks to the coming, conquering King. Verse 16 of chapter 11, I'll just read it again. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has sealed for himself and taken back all authority over his created order, back from Satan. He, he Jesus, is currently reigning as king over a spiritual kingdom, over the lives of those that have 
submitted to him and given our lives to him, our trusting in his death for what it will achieve for us, what it has achieved for us. But this Jesus, this very same Jesus who walked the world 2,000-ish years ago, is coming back again in a physical way. And he's coming back to quash all the evilness in this world once and for all. And he's going to wipe away, in doing so, he will wipe away all the tears from the eyes of those of his people, these people sealed for him. All those tears that we have cried because of the brokenness out of this world, like we see atrocities happen all over the world. We see... Don't want to get too fired up. We see... The, the worst things that humanity does to itself through, through the sinful world. We cry, we cry over molested children and we cry over just senseless murders. We cry over peop- the weak being exploited. We cry over people struggling to find homes. We cry over this, we cry over the brokenness of this world and Jesus is coming to wipe those tears away and set everything perfectly right. One day Jesus is coming to take control of all this mess, and this is what the elders are singing of here. Conquering, risen King Jesus is coming to take back what is rightfully His, that was bought with His death. He will crush into submission all evil, and anyone that has not humbled themselves and given their life over to Him. All of the greatest conquests in history, think of them. I'm not a military guy, so I haven't really studied this, but there is so many of them. Like you think of Alexander the Great. He's one that we all know. All right. Think of Genghis Khan. Think of the mighty Ottoman Empire. Think of the massive might of the British Empire in its glory days. All these massive victories and accomplishments all added together will pale into insignificance with the fury and the force of world dominance that our King Jesus will stampede in on. There will be, well, resistance will be absolutely futile. All of his enemies will be destroyed by the breath of his mouth and all will yield to his majesty. Like it or not, all will yield. Every knee will bow, including the greatest of kings and the world leaders that the world has ever known will, does know, or will ever know. All past and present and current empires and powers will yield and be subjugated to this rightful conquering King Jesus. Now, the early church, we talked about the early, the early church who this book was originally addressed to, thought that who could conquer the Roman Empire in all of its might? And the same thing can be said for Christians over in Syria at the moment, Who can conquer ISIS? Who can conquer Syria? Who can conquer Russia? Who can conquer the USA? Who can conquer the European Union? But hear this. All these powers will be swept aside like dust and they will be ruled righteously with a rod of iron by our coming King, our returning King, Jesus. He will trample all of these petty rulers, squabbling over bits of land, squabbling over power, squabbling over money, oil, whatever. He will trample on them 
with the full fury and the wrath of God Almighty. Vercingetorix and Caesar both will have no other option but then to kneel before this coming king. They will have no other option than to strip off everything they have and just throw it at his feet and sit down in complete subjection. They will have no other option. All kings will yield to him. Like it or not, they will throw down their crowns at his feet. All leaders will throw all of their power down at his feet. Jesus is returning as the king of kings and lord of lords. Humble yourself before him now. Humble yourself. Give give your life over to him, over to his ways, because he created you and he died for you and he is coming to reign. We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So everyone, if you've got hears, hear this, be on the right side of history when King Jesus comes to reign. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.